0: You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. If you have your Bibles, open up to 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to receive from God's Word this evening. There was a theme in those songs that I just want to press into tonight. It's a theme about the glory of God which is a word, a term used hundreds of times in Scripture and said a lot in church contexts and said a lot in, in uh, song, worship songs that we sing. So I want us as a people, as a church family, to understand what we're singing about. You know, It's a real shame, and I would just in- encourage you and, and charge you to be cautious about just singing words that we, we don't know what we're singing about. It's a real problem, and actually, it can be a really deceptive um, tendency for us to fall into religious traps when we just kind of start singing the words on the screen, not stopping to understand or even figure out or investigate what in the world do these words mean? And and the word glory is one of those words that's used a lot, and I want us to be a people that hunger for the glory of God. But what does that mean? (laughs) The glory of God is a manifestation of his presence. This morning, Pastor Nicole just brought it, talking about the presence of God, recognizing, responding, and releasing the presence of God. So the the presence of God is his awareness of his reality, which is such a gift. The glory of God is a specific type of the presence, which is a manifestation, a physical manifestation, a representation of, of his presence, of his reality where he graces a people with a physical representation of, of what he is like and that he is there, he isn't there in that moment. And so like the most vivid picture, and even all the kids in this place can, can think of these Old Testament stories, the stories in the, the Old Testament of the Israelites being led by fire in the night and by a cloud of glory during the day, right? That was a physical demonstration, physical actually appearance of God's reality of his presence, Well, I want to tell you that God has created us to be a people that encamp around his glory. Where actually his glory, physical demonstrations of what he is like, take center stage. And not any man or woman or leader or program or building or church brand, but it becomes his splendor. So, If you're struggling sometimes understanding what I'm talking about when I'm saying uh, the word glory, you can replace it with the word splendor. A demonstration of his splendor or his beauty. When When that appears in a moment, that changes everything. And I want to stand before you tonight and tell you that the glory of God is central. It's actually distinctive to who we are as a people. And therefore, the counter of that That is also true. I believe one of the greatest judgment upon judgments upon a people is for the glory of God to be removed. And so last Sunday morning I spoke from 1 Samuel chapter 3 about the deception of, of Eli's generation, 1 Samuel 3, and how God raised up Samuel, right? At the beginning of 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says, The word of the Lord was rare. God raised up a Samuel who began to minister to the Lord, who actually positioned himself in the presence of God. Even before he actually knew the Lord, it says, he positioned himself in the presence of God. Eventually, he had his own encounter with the Lord. 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 21. He has his own encounter with Jesus in the Old Testament. It's beautiful. And he turns to the Lord. And God uses Samuel to turn, to turn Israel to the Lord. But there's a judgment that comes upon Israel because of the failures of Eli. And we find that in 1 Samuel chapter 4. So the very next chapter, there is still a judgment coming to Israel because of the failures of Eli. And, and the way he, he casually approached the presence of God. Right? In the way that he was so passive with his younger sons, uh, Phineas and Hophni. And so there is this judgment that comes to Israel where actually the Ark of the Covenant is taken by the Philistines in 1 Samuel chapter 4. And the Lord essentially puts this banner over Israel. And it's this this name given to a child, which I I feel horrible for this this baby, for this child. But the name given to this baby is Ichabod. As a declaration, as a statement to Israel that the glory has departed. And so that, that name, Ichabod, literally means to be without the kabo, to be without the the glory of God, to be without the the manifest presence of God, to be without the the splendor and the beauty of God being demonstrated in your midst. That was the statement given to Israel. And that is quite the judgment. I I would say it's one of the greatest judgments to be given to a people for the glory of God to depart. And sadly, so many times in the church, people settle for church without the glory of God. I was recently talking to, to a dear friend, and they had attended a church that honestly, growing up, was such a huge influence in my life. So many moments with the Lord in a, you know, a flagship church. They recently attended that church, though they said that the services were dead. They were lifeless. It was like the, the glory had departed. And I'm not saying that everyone in that church didn't know the Lord, but, but the services were completely lifeless. There, were, there was no life there. The glory had departed. Whatever the cost, I want us to hunger for the glory of God. Ephesians chapter 3 says this, because this is, this is what we're called to. We're, we're called to be a people that don't point the world to us, Appoint people to Jesus, right? We all say that. But this is how we do it. We do it by being a people of his glory. So that people, when they they come into our midst, they're captivated by the beauty and the splendor of Jesus and not by us or our programs or our personalities. But this is what Ephesians chapter 3 says. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. This is his prayer over the church in Ephesus. According to the power at work within us, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. This is God's design for the church, for his glory to be seen. So if you're struggling to understand that that verse, replace the word glory with the word splendor. To him be the splendor in the church. To him be the, the beauty in the church. People shouldn't be in awe with me or with you, or with our building, or our awesome parking lot, although it is an amazing <laughs> parking lot. I mean, come on. That's great. I mean, people should not be in awe or in be impressed with the splendor of those things. They should be in awe and in wonder and captivated by the splendor of who? Of Jesus. And that's where the church gets it all wrong in the West. And so our acknowledgement of this truth should make us hungry for him and him alone. Not just as we were just singing, nothing else satisfies. I've grown less and less content with the motions of church, or just church as usual, usual. I long to meet with God, to see his beauty. And when we meet, for there to be this expectation that his beauty will be seen that the lost will come and they'll see the beauty of Jesus that the weary will come and they'll see the splendor of Jesus that the mature saints of God will be will come and be invigorated again with the beauty and the splendor of Jesus so i know all of our kids in the house they know that the old testament's written in hebrew right cuz nicole teaches them this stuff right hebrew kids you guys remember what language the new testament is written in What? Yes, way to go, kids. Greek, right? They all knew it. Greek. They know it's written in Greek. And so the Old Testament word we said was kabod. Well, the New Testament Greek word for glory is doxa. Doxa is the Greek word that even the Greek translations of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, they translate kabod into that word doxa. Which, is, which also means splendor, beauty, honor, that's Jesus. That word in Ephesians chapter 3, that is what we hunger for. That is our distinctive. That has to be the thing that people recognize us for in this world, is the splendor and the beauty of Jesus. Otherwise, what's the point? I was recently reminded of an old friend from college who was just known for being extremely casual about things that most of us get pretty uptight about. And so one example was uh, going to the airport. He, he traveled a lot, and actually he lived out in Seattle with me and my wife. We worked at the same uh, company out in Seattle when me and my wife were, were living out there. Um, and so he'd fly a lot and travel a lot, but he was always so laid back about going to the airport. Most of us, like, we're super uptight, right? Especially being Midwesterners, like, we got to be there two, two hours early, two and a half hours early. Like, no risking it. Well, he'd, like, stroll in 30 minutes before, and so notoriously, he would miss his flights. Like, notoriously. Sometimes we would be flying from our hometown, Fargo, to Seattle the same day, and I would get safely back to Seattle, and he would literally miss his flight because he's strolling in, like, 20 minutes before the the flight's going to take him. But what's the point of going to the airport if your airplane has departed, Like, what's the point? And so often people continue to go through the motions of church, and they, they step foot into the church, but the, the glory has departed. And what is the point? Like we missed it all. So that, that's all the introduction to 1 Samuel chapter 4. We are going to read, read this. 1 Samuel chapter 4, and all the kids are like wondering how long I'm going to speak. I'm not going to speak that long, okay, kids? 1 Samuel chapter 4 says this, verse 1. And the word of Samuel came to all of Israel, which is amazing news. If you remember 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says the word of the Lord is rare. Well, now it says the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Like there was a real shift that took place through one generation, the generation of Samuel, the shift that took place. Continue, now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines and they encamped at Ebenezer and the Philistines encamped at Aphek. So there is a real battle and Israel was in the midst of a battle. We are not not exempt from the battle as believers, as followers of Jesus. You say yes to Jesus and in fact the opposite is true. You are now enlisted in a battle. And there is a, like a, a casual spirit by which Israel faces this battle that I want us to take note of. The battle is real. The enemy is real. And the key is the glory of God, not our strategies or our 10 tips to defeat the enemy. It's the glory of God. There's a real enemy who's out to steal, kill, and destroy and the battle is not ours this is the lord's battle but what we're about to see is israel's about to enter the battle unprotected like they're naked they're entering the battle unprepared unprotected which is you know quite quite the travesty so we should never forget the truth that we cannot win this battle on our own we fail miserably when we try And for any younger believers in the house, I want, you to, I want to encourage you not to be caught off guard by this reality that we are in the midst of a battle. Don't be caught off guard by the enemy. Don't be discouraged when the enemy rears his face against you. That is what you've said yes to when you said yes to Jesus. Is also yes to this battle. And so the key to your battle isn't you trying harder. Although when it comes to battles with sin specifically and old habits and old addictions, do what's right in front of you. I mean, if you play with fire, if you go to the same places that you used to, obviously eventually you'll probably get burned. But the key to your breakthrough, the deep breakthrough that you really long for, that all of our hearts long for, isn't about you trying harder. The breakthrough comes through an encounter with Jesus. It actually comes through his glory leading the way. The battle is the Lord's, and he gives the victory. And when we encounter our victorious king, it changes everything. So verse 2 says, The Philistines drew up in line against Israel. And when the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men on the field of battle. And when the people came to the camp, the elders of Israel said, Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord here from Shiloh, that it may come among us and save us from the power of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh and brought from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who was enthroned on the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. You see, they they had things out of order there. They got. They got their butts whooped in battle. Like they, they got it handed to them in battle. Thousands of soldiers die. And then they're like, oh yeah, we forgot the, we forgot the ark. We forgot the, forgot the glory of God. The Lord doesn't want to be our last resort. He doesn't want to be a means to an end. And how often do we treat Jesus like he's a condiment or an accessory that we can kind of sprinkle in here and there? when we think it fits we're missing it all if that's the case we don't just call out when we need him. that is that's infancy that is that's immaturity now God is calling us to be a people that live for him and him alone and never find ourselves in this situation unprotected by his glory unprepared So the ark was God's physical holding place for his presence. It was his house. It was his dwelling place. It was a physical representation of heavenly realities. And so if you, if you go through the, the Old Testament accounts, that's why it had so much ornamentation and gold and jewels and angelic imagery. Because it was meant to be a physical representation of a heavenly reality. It's meant to, be, to point people and the world to a greater reality outside of this earth. Well, that's Jesus. Jesus is the ark. He is the physical representation of a heavenly reality. It's his body, the church. And so if you, if you think about Israel's history, they, they should have known this, they, that they can't lead themselves into battle. You know, Exodus chapter 14 Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. This is Israel against the superpower of their day. For the Egyptians, whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. This was the way. This was the distinct way of the people of God, the children of God, and this is our way. We don't fight like the world. And so some of us, we we continue to struggle in the same ways, and we can't win the battles that we know we're destined to win with the Lord because we're fighting it in our flesh. We're fighting it in the natural. And the Lord's coming to you today and telling you, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, not in your own strength, that he's going to work for you today. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. So verse 5 Let's continue to read. As soon as the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel gave a mighty shout, so that the earth resounded. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shouting, they said, what does this great shouting in the camp of the Hebrews mean? And when they learned that the Ark of the Lord had come to the camp, the Philistines were afraid, for they said, "A God has come into the camp, so it's working. Like, the, the plan, even though they didn't get the order right, it's working. And they said, Woe to us, for nothing like this has happened before. Woe to us. Who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods? These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. And so here the enemy kind of gears up for a counterattack. Take courage and be men, O Philistines, lest you become slaves to the Hebrews as they have been to you. Be men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. And they fled, and every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. I think I combined those, Hophnius. Hophni and Phinehas, but 30,000 Israelites died that day, and ultimately the ark of the covenant was, was captured by the Philistines. It was like they, they, they came, it came against, the, they remembered who they were. Oh yeah, we're people that fight with the glory of God, leading the way. But, but the enemy was not going to give up. The enemy pushed back and ultimately defeated them. And this was judgment day for Israel. The glory had departed. Their, the substance of their faith was tested and it was shown to be faulty. The enemy was intimidated but then pushed back. It was like the the root system of their faith was demonstrated for what it was. And the ultimate judgment on God's people came upon them. The glory of God departing. I want to point you to a couple more passages. We We are going to respond and just spend time waiting on the Lord like we do any Sunday night. But We are called to be people with our eyes fixed on the Lord and who hosts his presence in such a way that the glory of God is physical uh, manifestations physical demonstrations are what we're known for. In John chapter 17 this is what Jesus says, the glory that you've given me I've given to them. This is Jesus talking to the Father. So this is a glimpse into his priorities and his way of seeing things. The glory that I've given you or the glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. So we are, we are meant to be people that are known for the glory of God. He's given it to us, the glory. That's doxa, the doxa that you've given me, I've given to them, the splendor, the beauty. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I, I desire that they also, whom you've given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you've given me because you've loved me before the foundations of the world. That is his heart, that you would see his glory. And that the glory that the Father gave him, that he would give to you. So there's a principle then that's derived from that. That this world desperately needs what the Lord has intended for us to carry, which is the glory of God. The world desperately needs Jesus. Like we, we say that. We know that. If you're a Christian, you know the world needs Jesus. And so we always think of strategies and campaigns and, and um, other, other things that activate and mobilize the church. And those things can be good. But I oftentimes think that's kind of like the Israelites kind of going into battle without the glory of God first paving the way. We need the glory of God. And we can't give away what we don't have. There's a story in Acts chapter 3, after the disciples received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and this crippled man's state, standing, or not standing, he's, he's crippled, so he's not standing, he's sitting by the gate called Beautiful, and he's begging. And he, he asks Peter and John for, for any spare change, and you guys probably know their response. Silver and gold, have we not? But what we do have, we give to you, right? Like, we, we have the opportunity to give the world something. And, and I would say, although there's moments where we should give money, and we should give resources, and we should give practically, those are the little things in God's book. Those are the little things. They said, what we do have, we give to you in the name of Jesus. Rise up and walk. And they gave the glory of God. They gave a physical demonstration of the present reality of Jesus Christ in that moment. The resurrected Christ said, rise up and walk. And they gave what they had. So we can't give away what we don't have. And the counter of that is true. We do give away whatever we have. And some of us, that's very little. I'm speaking to you tonight not from a place of having arrived. I'm actually speaking to you from a place of deep hunger in my heart for the glory of God to be seen in my life and in this church and in our community. I Actually, I, I think there are very few instances where I believe the glory of God has been demonstrated in a profound way through my life. And those few moments have just made me more hungry. So the little things are time, treasure, and talents And we we give those things away. But what the world needs more than anything is to see the glory of God on display in our lives. The splendor, the beauty of Jesus on display in our life. That is God's design, that the world would glorify God because of the representation of God that we demonstrate in this world. That we would give them a distinct power and impact that cannot be denied that our lives would be a reflection of what God and his kingdom is like. This is what I'm crying out for more and more in my life. And I've I've sensed this great need in our church for us to pray for God's glory to be demonstrated in our lives. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. The world really does need an encounter with his glory. They need his glory if you're struggling to understand that sentence, that the world needs an encounter with his glory. You can go ahead and throw that up there. The world needs an encounter with his beauty, with his splendor. Replace glory with a word that maybe is more in our vocabulary. The world needs to experience or they need a demonstration of his beauty. You know that Jesus is beautiful. You know that he is full of splendor and, and wonder and, and your heart has been captured by him. Well, that's what the world needs. They need a demonstration of his splendor. It's God's glory that captures the hearts of people. They see him for who he is. You know, there's a lot of people that, that I talk to in my comings and goings in Ames that say they don't like the church. But you know, they, they really they really, don't know, they, they really don't know what they're talking about in the sense that the church in its purest form is the embodiment of Jesus. It's just that they've never seen the true church. They've never seen the, the true representation of Jesus and his beauty and his splendor. Because if they have, oh, they, they would melt. Like they, and I see it time and time again. And this morning we saw it. People melt in his presence and his, as, they, as they, they just see him. They don't see all the messiness and the gossip and the hypocrisy and the religious grossness. They just see the splendor and the beauty of Jesus. And their hearts come alive to what they truly know about who they are before a holy God and what the answer is for their their eternal destiny. That's what the world needs, is an encounter with his splendor, a demonstration of his splendor and his beauty. If you'd all stand in this place. There's more that I wanted to share, but I want us to wait on the Lord. That's really what what Sunday nights are about. Like I said, I'm not speaking tonight from a place of vast experience. There's been moments where I've seen God's glory. I've seen his splendor. I've seen his beauty. But I know there's more. I know there's so much more. And so more than anything, I'm speaking from a place of deep, deep hunger. It says, God, would you move in our generation where your splendor, your beauty is manifested in an inarguable way, in a way that our generation can't argue with. I'm so hungry for that. There were moves of God in the past. In Azusa Street, a move of God that happened in Los Angeles at the turn of the 20th century, the cry was, fill me. Shortly thereafter, the Welsh revival across the ocean, the, the cry was, bend me. Two decades after that, in the Hebrides Islands, the Hebrides revival, that the prayer was, Lord, shake me. I don't know what our prayer should be in our generation, but I think it has something to do with show me your glory, Lord. Like this generation needs a demonstration of your beauty and your splendor that can't be argued with. If you'd all come forward and just fill these altar spaces, kids and adults alike, we're gonna wait on the Lord. Of space for Him to to move in our lives. His design for us as a people is for His glory to be what we're known for His splendor, His beauty. So, would you make that acknowledgement to the Lord right now that we need Your glory? We need your beauty to be demonstrated through our lives. And so, Lord, tonight, as living sacrifices, we place ourselves before you. Saying that one thing, we need your glory. We acknowledge the prayer that you prayed to the Father, that the glory that he gave to you, You want to give to us. We're hungry for you, Jesus. This this wasn't planned necessarily. I, there's a lot I skipped in my message here, but Betty, would you ever mind coming and sharing that testimony about your your niece and the the words that were sharing shared, sh- shared uh, at Kids Point? You can come down here, so it's not as intimidating. But this was just shared with me earlier this afternoon. But this is a profound testimony, and exactly what I'm talking about of the beauty of Jesus. And other other kids are going to come down. Actually. Parents, if your kids are downstairs, you need to, to go get them. We'll wait for this testimony because this is too powerful. <laughs> Just a second. I forgot. I totally forgot about that. That's a Drew fail here. This is a Drew fail. If you have kids downstairs, please go and uh, pick them up and bring them up. We will share this testimony. But the Lord is working in our midst. His glory is being demonstrated, is being seen. And I want us to recognize it and not pat ourselves on the back or or in any way fall into any sort of um, lie of treating it as casual or common. But instead that it would stoke a hunger in our hearts that actually looks into scripture and says, Wow, Lord, the things that you've done in the past, you're doing again. Lord, do it in our generation. So, Lord, that's our prayer tonight, that you'd show your glory in our lives, that you'd show your glory in this place, that you'd show show us your glory, show us your beauty and your splendor. There are some in this place who, who would maybe say they've never seen your glory, like never once. Well, God, would you come tonight in a way and manifest your physical reality in this place, in people's lives. Maybe there's some in this place who have fallen into the traps of religion. Maybe there are some who've fallen into the traps of doubt or unbelief. Well, they need to see your glory. So would you come, King Jesus? This has been the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.